I really feel that um, emotions and kind of my like extreme emotions really kind of like make me who I am because they it's like really embracing a sunset or the simple things and really finding the beauty and being so happy by just using the world around me but then also really feeling that um, kind of like deep sadness that happens when the world kind of feels like it's falling apart. You're listening to C4C Conversations. Like I'm the only one in my family that's had this kind of problem. I know that they struggled a lot. I think a lot of it was just seeing me in like a lot of distress. I couldn't really talk to either of my parents about anything that happened to me. But like now in my adulthood, I find a lot of support with my, my peers just by being open about what my issues are. Hey everyone, welcome to C4C Conversations. I'm your host, Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. C4C is all about interesting conversations that tell us something about each other. We've spent the last few months traveling across Canada to find them, and now we're bringing them to you. It feels like we're talking about mental health all the time. There's a story in the news every day, and usually not a very positive one. There's the Let's Talk campaign. People are always saying, we should talk about mental health more. But we don't seem to dive in. People share the stories and others listen, but we don't always take that next step and really engage. Perhaps we don't know how to. And I get it. Mental health is hard to talk about. It's so personal, so revealing. Abby's one of those people who can really open up. She just seems to have the language to do it. She and Joey are new friends, and they really connect, despite having just met on the train. Um, so you were saying earlier about uh, when you're first, I guess, diagnosed with OCD and being kind of um, wary about germs and stuff. So how, since then, I guess my question would be, like, how... How did you get to where you are now? Because we're on a train where we can't shower. We're like yeah. this close together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how Like how did you really overcome like obstacles and whatnot? When I first got diagnosed, there is no way that I could have used like the washrooms on this train. Yeah. Like they're not unsanitary, but they're just not t to my level of um, like yeah. hygiene. Yeah. And just like my rituals and stuff, I just wouldn't. Like, I, I st had stopped using public washrooms altogether for the oh first God. three months of my diagnosis. And wow. that, like, seems like not a lot, but when you think about, like, how much you use a public washroom, um, it was, like, really hard. Like, I didn't go out with friends, especially, like, I wouldn't go to bars because if I had any kind of, like, alcohol, I'd have to use public washroom. Mm -hmm. So it was, I had made the decision, like, I was never going to go out. I, like, wasn't going to have alcohol again. Um, because I was so afraid of having to go to the washroom. <laughs> um, if I went to like my campus to go to class, like I immediately went home, so that really inhibited like my like social life. And um, but to like get here, it was just a lot of um, a lot of support from my family, especially, um, which I think they found really difficult because like I'm the only one in my family that's had this kind of problem other than my mom's mom, um, who passed away like a long, long time ago. But um, I know that they struggled a lot. I think a lot of it was just seeing me in like a lot of distress um, and like finding good like professional help 
the frustrating part was um, Thank you. Once I found like a psychologist that I really liked, my insurance had run out. Oh no. So once I found someone that I loved, like I didn't have any money to spend on therapy, so I had to pay out of pocket. Um, but since like, since my insurance has renewed, it's been okay. But um, for a long time, I actually relied on medication, mm -hmm. um, which is not like not effective. And all my doctors told me that that like you can't just be on medication; you have to like find like counseling and I was like yeah yeah like I'll I'll get around to it and I was just so discouraged because I had met so many psychologists that yeah. I really didn't like mm -hmm. um, but once I found like my psychologist Michelle like she's she's awesome and like I went to her once a week and like we did like exposure therapy and stuff mm -hmm. and like like I just I feel like I'm like 360 from like when I was before like I still feel like I have a lot of tendencies and stuff like I'm very aware of like the germs but like it's not inhibiting me to do anything right yeah. exposure therapy is really good though you start like step by step yeah yeah it was like like we would spend like the entire like session in the public washroom of like the like the office building that her office was in and like that that was like the extent and it wasn't just like get, like making me use the public washroom it was just like what was it like being in the public washroom like what kind of like feelings are brought on by that like I really like I realized one day that it just wasn't practical for me to not be able to use public washrooms to not let people touch me or anything if I was being a camp counselor um, and I just remember like having uh, like the three to five year old campers mm -hmm. and then like crawling all over me and stuff and me just like I went home that night and I just thought like like I can't be freaking out like it's not okay for the kids to see me like that like it's obviously not okay for me and just like the next day I just dove right into it and like it was hard um but it was just like all or nothing like had to expose myself and I got really sick actually Aww. I got the worst cold um but yeah like and after that week I realized that like I was I was okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, like, okay enough. Like, it, it was, it wasn't like I was cured or anything, but that was when I realized that this was something that I could actually, like, tackle. You're talking about before with uh, your career, especially, like, um, working with youth and stuff, and so how is, how has mental illness played a part in, like, your career and um, your schooling, too? I think um, after doing like student placements, so at first I worked in an all-girls group home and uh, it was like I worked at downtown Toronto. It was really interesting just because it was my first placement. I honestly had no idea what I was really getting myself into and there were two youth there who, out of like the seven youth, there were two who uh, actually identified as uh, non-binary and transgender. So uh, it was the first time I've ever worked with uh, a youth professionally who identified as, as that, um, especially being so young. They were 17. Uh, they basically changed everything I ever believed in or thought I believed in. Just all these like boxes I have really been growing up with. Like it was just, it was crazy. I think other than knowing personally a couple people who did, um, who did um, transition from female to male, I think that was pretty much my only exposure 
um, to, I guess, gender identity and whatnot, right? Um, and then after that, I worked with, oh, and a lot of the kids there, um, kids in the, a lot of kids in the system do tend to have some mental health issues, like um, stuff that I struggle with, like borderline personality disorder, um, depression, anxiety, all the works. But then after that, I did my second placement in a secure facility um, just outside of Toronto where it was mental health based. Uh, however, it was uh, youth justice related. So the kids that I personally worked with um, had charges, but there, uh, all the kids there were are refer referred there um, due to a mental health diagnosis. So I think my relationship with mental health, it, it's hand in hand when it comes with working with people, just having compassion and educating yourself on um, I guess what's going on and how you can help people and not and like I guess break the whole stigma of be accepting and loving and that's how you begin to understand people um, not just I guess like throughout life experiences and uh, I think what's going on on the inside too yeah I think the education part super like yeah. super super important yeah because um, I know like my family that like they weren't really educated on obsessive compulsive disorder like they didn't understand that like uh just telling me to stop washing my hands was not effective and yeah. <laughs> getting me to stop washing my hands no i get it yeah and like that's the thing like you can't really blame them at the same time because they they had no idea right and like yeah. you said earlier like you love your family so much and they love you too yeah but it's like with my family like you don't talk about mental health like issues stay in the family like it's like telling yeah. abby earlier there was like a guy at my um, mom's church who committed suicide and like nobody talked about it whereas like I'm in a field where it's like talk about it talk about why it happened uh, what we can do what are some signs like how to really come about it yeah it's a huge cultural thing yeah. and I think even in society too just wanting to shut up about it but it's not not helpful at all so well I think when I think back to like the mental health issues that I dealt with in high school like not me personally but like just seeing people who I knew that had those kind of issues, like it, I think I saw it as something that oh, it would wouldn't happen to me, because I was very happy, like and I had a very like structured life and, um, like I definitely like if someone were to tell me when I was like sixteen that I was gonna have like a crippling phobia of germs, like <laughs> I definitely wouldn't, because I I think I always thought that I was something that you would develop as a kid and then um deal with as a teenager so I thought like by the age of 18 like I was in the clear <laughs> mm -hmm. um so I think I was very naive in like the idea that I was I was untouchable when it came to mental illness mm -hmm. I think when I was in high school hmm I feel like anything mental health related, I definitely, instead of using the word or the term mental health, I definitely would have said something like psycho or crazy, yeah. something that is like totally not okay these days, just because I really had no idea. Um, I'm, I think I'm fortunate enough to not have anybody in my immediate family, I guess, necessarily struggle with mental health issues until like someone really close to me's mom, like, um, I guess I just kind of saw how it changed her family and just how big of an issue things can be and things, I guess, um, seeing at a young age that things on the surface aren't what it really can be, yeah. right? Um, and especially it's like someone I grew up with and like I was always with her families, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely didn't have that same viewpoint that I do now. 
Yeah. And we're also growing up in a time where people are being more brave. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember when you were 17, like, I never would have thought, like, the 17-year-olds I met who are so strong and they, you know, they are very, they're so sure of themselves. Like, the two teenagers I was telling you about, the two who um, identify as non-binary, it's like, like you have such a like they have such a firm grasp on who they are as people i just remember thinking back when i was 17 i was like oh i just did what my mom told me to say i'm 20 i don't even know yeah, what's going so, on <laughs> yeah just growing up in a time where we're really just breaking out of that box we were all just kind of put into like you have to be this way you're a girl you're expected to do this do that or not to do that mm-hmm. kind of thing i think um it's a good time yeah, what a time to be alive. Yeah, it's an ultra. What a time yeah. to be alive, exactly. It's awesome. That kind of story, the story about being blindsided by mental illness, is so common. Mental health is not a linear process, it isn't predictable. I thought I was in the clear, Abby says, and I understand where that sentiment is coming from. We often don't know where it comes from or why it's happening. For Sarah, Her diagnosis led her on a journey of discovery, starting with her own family. Um, My, this, well, yeah, so two years, or yeah, a year and a half ago, um, I was diagnosed with severe depression. um, And I I think talking about Spain, part of it was coming back from Spain and um, being not ready to go back into a box that I, not that anyone was forcing me into it, but that I kind of just had with coming back for only being away for six months. Um, but I think there was a lot of other things as well. And what this trip has kind of given me the opportunity to is to talk to other family members who have also experienced severe depression. Um, and then really talk about how, um, my grandfather was, uh, bipolar and no one really talked about it. Um, until I was older and then also kind of coming to terms with um, I like kind of aligning with my grandfather and that um, we were both really emotional and feelings and I really feel that um, emotions and kind of my like extreme emotions are um, really kind of like make me who I am because they it's like really embracing a sunset or the simple things and really finding the beauty and being so happy by just using the world around me but then also really feeling that um, kind of like deep sadness that happens when the world kind of feels like it's falling apart Um, and so then that's a scary place to be and um, for me this trip was interesting to then go and talk to other relatives that kind of knew my grandpa before his depression because with his bipolar they weren't really able to medicate it well from my understanding um, in that they kind of just had him on um, medication that limited his like highs um, and instead kept him in more of the lows area Um, and I know him as like a really loving caring and um, like kind man so I don't really remember the depressive sides but definitely the rest of the family Um, because I was quite young. I think they passed away about four years ago. So um, I'm 25 now. And but because they were living in Winnipeg and I was in Vancouver, I had less kind of time and didn't really know what I was allowed to talk about or what questions I was allowed to ask them, I guess. And now that I'm older, I'm just (laughs) 
going and asking anyone any question I can think of to just kind of find some more clarity and understanding and um, yeah I think it but I just I want to continue talking about it with the family because I think that so there in every family there seems like there's secrets and people just don't want to talk about the hardship but then through talking this time um, it we created like a a deeper connection and maybe stronger understanding of each other and um, Justin and I or you and I met in Spain for end, couple, of, in, yeah. end of May middle of May June-ish June-ish yeah. and then it was um, I once we came home I didn't get the diagnosis until the following March 2016 but it was kind of right away I was thrown right back into school um, and so it was actually like the first couple months that we were in the same country and dating I mean it was definitely like the first year um, that we were dating that that kind of all came about um mm-hmm. and we had the time to talk about it a bit but yeah but yeah no I, I mean you could from that point of view I mean I could you didn't talk about you know if you want to say identity I think you're one of Sarah's I uh, I wonderful pieces of her identity is that she would, could be like a, a shining light in a, in a room and and just just you could see that she's radiating from the inside out and um, as like July turned into August, uh, you could just see that she didn't quite have that same spark. And so I think it wasn't until you kind of, you went to the doctors for a different reason. I don't remember what that was. Um, and we'd all kind of flirted around the word be- and the diagnosis in a sense because your uh, mental health is so openly spoken in your, in your home. But it, uh, once it had that label, then I think, well, for for you, you just you kind of got to the ground running in, in the sense of like, how can I give myself yourself the, the time to work with it? And for me, it was a pretty new thing to be around uh, that type of uh, diagnosis. So it was more of a okay, like I want to where can I support and give space and understand it so for me it was almost like uh, the moment where I took a a step into like trying to understand it and do my own reading um, so that I could still be a partner for her and a a friend so yeah yeah it was uh, like and in hindsight it it's made I guess this relationship unique in that it was it's been really tough for both of us it had like a beginning that I wouldn't really wish on anyone um, from my perspective, I guess, but because you wouldn't really want to wish depression on anyone. Um, but it also has, I guess, shown the tenacity that um, Justin has and we both have to kind of keep going because we see that this is like, um, we both see a future together and that mm-hmm. it um, is something that Justin was really, or that you were able to really support me through. Um, and as you said, like having a family that was so open about it to talk about it, um, really, me, really sure, helped yeah. and yeah, helped you as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, it was when we were together and like even now you talk about how you can't really, it's hard to remember what it felt like when you were in the lowest of lows. And I think, yeah, if I could say this, like, I know, uh, Sarah has strong emotions and, um, so you you will and that's something that is fantastic about you and then you'll you can also even in uh, on a day or something feel 
fairly low or, or really high and uh, even I think uh, d- depression is, a, is like a, a spectrum for sure so it you know I don't know if anyone ever leaves it or what it is but I think you now have like good tools in place to be able to understand it better yeah and I think looping back to identity it's definitely become part of my identity I guess in a sense and that I'm not necessarily I don't want to cling on to the fact that it was there but I also really want to continue to talk about it and kind of make people aware that it was part of or has been part of my story um, right now and that um, I also want to be someone that can really talk about it and that was when I got the diagnosis was kind of like okay you know what like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna tell all my girlfriends and I'm gonna tell um, my friends and if they want to talk about it that's great and if they don't then that's okay too like I just I want them to know and what the amazing thing was was then finding out kind of all the different people that came out of the um, woodwork that was like oh yeah like my mom has struggled with depression or I've struggled with depression or um, kind of all these people that we never really talked about it we then had a platform to start discussing it and sharing our own stories and struggles with it. Sarah found an immediate community of support in her family people coming out of the woodwork to share their thoughts and experiences people in your life might be bursting to talk about their experience I wonder how many are in mine I wonder what would happen if we all took some time and created the space to have these conversations What would happen then? You might recognize the voices in this next conversation. Emmerdade and Anna were in our episode about fear. As they talked, this idea of support and safe spaces to explore and understand mental health just kept coming up. Before I answer, is this to be anonymous? Um, No, read introductions. Oh, yeah. Introductions. Okay. I will do a non-personal distance version of this. Okay. Um, okay, where do we start? Yes, I did feel support, but it was like ended up happening much later on in what I was dealing with. So I found that my guidance counselor, bless her soul, helped me through everything because it was also a point in high school where literally everything is changing because university applications are going in and you realize that your friends are leaving and you're moving on. But like that wasn't the only stuff I was dealing with, so it became a lot. Um, So I knew that I found support there because in Caribbean culture, we don't really talk about our feelings Mm -hmm. (laughs) and showing affection is not really a thing that happens either. So I couldn't really talk to either of my parents about anything that happened to me but like now in my adulthood I guess I find a lot of support with my my peers just by being open about what my issues are um but yeah throughout like growing up it was really hard to find support systems Mm -hmm. Um, because like people are also dealing with all their own stuff and sometimes people don't know how to read signs of like traumatic things happening to people yeah so I've personally found it very hard Um, but in saying that 
there are some who have supported me a lot um, and helps me succeed in like everything without letting whatever happened to me like tear me down which is very good because mm -hmm. I might not even be here without them so that's good mm -hmm. yeah where I went to school for grade seven and eight I was bullied like severely to a point where like <laughs> who wasn't to a point where like I didn't want to live anymore at such a young age and when I would talk to like teachers at school about it they didn't do anything because yeah. they don't take kids mental health seriously yeah absolutely and so I didn't have support through that and so when I finally opened up to my mom she took me to a counselor like what you did and I was there for about six months and I haven't been back since so it did help yeah we need more more um, support for younger people yeah definitely because like when you get older you it's easier to find resources because you're an adult and people will take your cases seriously and listen mm -hmm. to you but when you're a child even though your experiences are very valid um, people will invalidate them based on your age. Especially adults. Yeah, especially adults who don't understand. Yeah, so... I w like, I wish I had me when I was, like, eight. Yeah. <laughs> so that I knew that I wasn't alone in everything, but I was, like, dealing with everything for so many years, and it was so awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm gonna try to avoid crying very soon. We need to get off this subject. <laughs> what do you think will change when you have kids? If I were to have kids, I would definitely try to be more involved in their life, but not like a helicopter parent. But like, I'd be there if I want to make sure they'd know I was there if they needed to talk to me about something. And if something were to happen to them, they could talk to me about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would want to make sure that we actually dialogue not like on the surface but like really what's going on mm -hmm. and I feel like I could be open to doing that with my child as well of like whatever's happening with me because like mm -hmm. we trust each other and love each other and would be open so that they know that hi not everyone's perfect and yes I'm gonna try to hold it together as your parent but just know that we got each other. Mm. I would try to do that from my child if I have kids. I still haven't decided. <laughs> it might happen accidentally, but <laughs> if it does happen accidentally, just know future child that I got you, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you have any questions for them? Do you guys have any questions you want to ask each other? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's happening. <laughs> um, no, I just want to say I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Did you guys learn about each other? Definitely. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that was so beautiful. Oh, I want to cry now. Don't do it. Only one of us. Yeah. Maybe two. Yeah. Maybe two. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> Especially because you have to, like, do it so PG. Mm-hmm. And not get into detail. It's, like, really difficult to, like, try to hold back when you want to just yell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad you guys were doing this because that conversation is important. Mm-hmm, definitely. We've got a quick update that we'd like to share with you. We caught up with Amber Jade a few months after meeting her and Anna on the train. How did it feel to have that conversation? Um, it was positive because um, I realized that I wasn't alone in my thoughts, um, even coming from a 16-year-old. And we have like a pretty much eight-year age difference, and she was experiencing the same things that I had experienced and still experience. But I also felt negatively because we are still experiencing these things. Um, and the fact that um, nothing has really changed, even with the new generation coming in. Um, so it was a little frustrating hearing about her experiences in life and being able to so incredibly relate to her at the same time. Um, it felt nice, though, to be on a very similar level with someone who I didn't think I had a lot in common with though. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Did you find it helpful to kind of talk it out? It was helpful in the sense that, um, I was able to see if I was healing or not from everything that I've gone through. Um, but it also just wasn't helpful. It was a good conversation though. A great conversation. Like great conversation. But sort of in in the way that one conversation can't fix everything. Exactly. It's about continuing. Yeah, and like keeping up the conversation and asking really, really hard questions that can't be answered within a half hour. That being said, that conversation really opened my eyes to a, a lot of things that I, I guess I found traumatizing but suppressed for a long time. Um because it gave me an opportunity to speak my truth. And like everyone has a story and everyone should be able to tell their story. Just snaps. Snap. One more question. Mm-hmm. Just for anyone who's like listening and they're super team Amber J. Like mm-hmm. what updates do you want to give the, all your fans for oh, this podcast? Oh God. Uh, I'm alive. Hey. <laughs> and my tattoos are healing well. My coast to coast tattoos. So we're pretty happy about that. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm great. I'm good. Hope you guys are well. <laughs> Holler at me whenever you have a chance. I want to know what's up with you. To hear more of the conversations we recorded along the way, you can visit our website at talentforchange.ca. Thanks to our founders, the Macmillan Family Foundation, Inspirit Foundation, and the National Film Board of Canada. Our conversations are recorded in partnership with Via Rail Canada. Many thanks to Ryerson University, Carleton University, MyTax, and IMAX Corporation for their support. And thank you for listening. That's it for this episode.